Before everything started closing down, I was hired at a restaurant I won't name. When I walked in on what was supposed to be my starting day a couple weeks later, another worker in the front of the store asked, Wait, why are you here? It turns out that I'd been laid off that morning, and my boss forgot to call me. I'm one of the lucky ones, though. I live with my parents for obvious reasons, and neither I nor my family need the money. The biggest way this huge economic downturn is affecting me is in the availability of certain goods and services. But that's right now, and I'm scared for my economic future. You're listening to Pandemic COVID-19. I'm Maxfield Rivers, candy addict and broke high schooler extraordinaire. In this episode, we'll cover the effects of a recession and the tools to pull us out of one, the mechanics of the $2.2 trillion stimulus package, and how long this situation may last. But first, an update. As of today, April 20th, there are 2.3 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally and 158,000 deaths. In the United States, there are 724,000 confirmed cases and 34,000 deaths. In the U.S., the unemployment rate is estimated to be somewhere between 10 and 15 percent as 22 million people filed for unemployment benefits in the last month. Calls for reopening the U.S. economy have been increasing, but I stand among the majority of the population in saying that a date in early May is too soon. In the meantime, Congress is working on a nearly half a trillion dollar spending package to help small businesses and hospitals struggling to stay afloat. Now, pulling from Thursday's episode on mindfulness meditation, take a deep breath in and let it out. I took a dual-credit economics class last summer at my local community college, where I spent the majority of my time ignoring the teacher and taking notes from my textbook. I know just enough to be dangerous. But right now, the world is plenty dangerous on its own, so I needed to reach out to an expert. Dr. Louise Shainer is the Robert S. Kerr Senior Fellow in Economic Studies and the Policy Director for the Hutchins Center on Fiscal and Monetary Policy at the Brookings Institution. She's also served as an economist on the Federal Reserve System's Board of Governors, been the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the U.S. Department of the Treasury, and a senior staff economist for the Council of Economic Advisors. I was lucky enough to get a chance to talk to her about what's going on in her world during COVID-19. Since the stock market has been changing so frequently, I thought a good place to start would be with the connection between the stock market and overall economic health. The stock market is actually not the economy. The stock market is the value of of companies. And so you can have situations where the companies are doing well, but the average person may not be. So you might have said that's been the case over the past, you know, 10 or 20 years where people who've owned stocks have done very well, but inequality has increased and wages have not kept up. Wages have been quite stagnant. And so the average person may not be doing great, even while the stock market is doing great. At the same time, changes so the stock market is going to be reflecting what people think the value of a company is, which means they're going to be looking ahead as much as what's happening now, but what they expect is going to happen. So you saw this dramatic decline in the stock market. It fell about 30% at one point um, when people said this is a terrible pandemic and it's going to hurt GDP and it's going to hurt profits. And so it was the far looking and saying this is very bad. And then you see that when Congress passed their stimulus bill, for example, it recovered 
covered somewhat so that it is useful to look at what the stock market's doing. It's kind of people's best guess on how this is all going to play out. So when there's good news, it tends to go up. Um, when there's bad news, it tends to go down. That said, you know, it gyrates around quite a bit, and you can't you can't really follow the daily changes in the stock market to know exactly what's going to happen in the economy. But clearly, I follow the stock market since the start of the pandemic. You know, was a pretty good indicator this was going to be bad. Maybe it's just me who conflates the stock market with the economy, but now I know better. Still, even after I conceptually divorced the two, there are huge problems in both sectors. We're in the middle of a recession, and unemployment is possibly at its highest rate since the Great Depression. Before going into the ways this recession could impact people, I want to offer a bit of hope. There are tools available to pull us out of the recession. You're not going to be able to prevent a recession, uh, but other than the stimulus package, the other place that's uh, the other um, institution that's working hard to try to to pull us out of the recession is the Federal Reserve. Um, so the Federal Reserve um, is able to make sure that the financial system doesn't freeze up. It's able to ensure that there's liquidity, meaning that like solvent companies can get capital. And so the Federal Reserve is actually going to be lending money to lots of different institutions in various ways. Because um, one of the lessons that we learned in the Great Recession was that when financial markets freeze up, that has really bad economic effects, and that freezes happen when people start to panic. Um, and so the financial system can sort of cause you know, the recession to be worse. And so the Fed is really doing everything it can um, to try to prevent that and is lending to all kinds of different people and institutions in ways that they even greater than they did during the Great Recession. There's also that $2.2 trillion stimulus package, which goes towards individuals and small businesses to give them a much-needed boost. So I think the way to think about what's going on is sort of have two parts. Right now, we're basically asking for a recession, right? We're saying people should stay home. That means we're saying production should, should cease. People aren't going to work. They're not going to restaurants. They're not doing all that stuff. That means GDP is going to be lower. That is by design. Some people have used the term, like, we're putting the econ- economy into a medically induced coma. Like, for our own good, we're saying GDP has to be lower. So that's inevitable. And nothing, um, as long as we're assuming that people, as long as people are staying home, it's going to be a recession. It's going to be a very deep recession. The question is, one, what do we do so that during this period of time, people have enough money to pay their rent, to buy groceries, to, 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 to meet their basic needs, you know, not to hurt their credit, not to get evicted. Um, and so part of the package was aimed at that. And secondly, we want to do everything we can so then so that once it's safe to go back out, once these social distancing requirements are lifted, that the economy can recover as quickly as possible. So for the first one, in terms of having enough money, the fiscal stimulus package um, increased unemployment insurance benefits. They expanded who could get them. So some people who traditionally couldn't get unemployment insurance now can. They're sending out checks um, to households. Um, so they're doing all these things to basically give you money right now while you're not working. But in order to make sure the economy recovers, they also want to do things that keep the relationships between businesses and employees um, going. So one of the things that they're doing is this small business loan program, which is really kind of a grant. So if a business with 500 employees or fewer keeps their workers on their payroll, even while they're like basically shut down, keeps paying them, keeps that relationship, then the federal government will lend them the money to do that, and then will forgive the loan. 
the aim of that is to say, look, if everybody loses their job and then it's safe to go out and all of a sudden people have to go find new jobs and businesses folded, they have to restart again, then it's going to be a lot harder to recover. So that's really aimed at sort of making the recovery faster and stronger. And also, you know, the stuff that we're doing to try to protect people during this time in terms of making sure that they can have income now also means that they're not going to get rid of, they're not going to go through their savings, um, and that when, when it's safe to go out and consume again, they'll have the income to do so. There's a general understanding of what exactly the stimulus package is giving out, but I, for one, am concerned about where this money is coming from. The government this year is going to borrow that money, and it already has a large debt, and so it means that people are lending the government money, they buy treasuries, to them it's savings, um, and so that money is just going to come from this large stock of capital around the world. Um, and you might say, well, isn't that a lot? And, and one thing that's very important to note is that interest rates, which is what the government has to pay when they pay interest, they have to pay someone who's lending to them, are actually at historic lows, which means that there's plenty of people who are willing to lend the government money and they're not demanding a lot of interest in return. So that's really not a concern at this point. Here's the one fact that stuck with me from economics class. More than two-thirds of the U.S. national debt is held within our country. That's something unlikely to change. But as this pandemic drags on, there's a possibility of our national debt growing larger and larger as more and more stimulus packages must be implemented. So how long will this last? Pretty much every economist will, tell, will, will, will answer that question to say, I can't really answer that question because it depends on the public health, right? This is just different than any other recession where it's not caused by things within the economy itself. It's caused by this other exogenous outside force, which is this uh, inversion of the virus, which means that we have to keep GDP low in order to protect ourselves. So we're all following, of course, what's going on in terms of the public health aspect. It's just not what we're responsible for. But it seems pretty clear that barring some unusual discovery at some point soon, this is going to be quite long, that even when people start going back, it's going to be very spotty, very gradual, things like sports events. All the big gatherings are probably not going to happen until again until there's a vaccine. So this means it's going to be quite quite long. It's going to be at least a few years before we have the potential of being back. And sort of whether or not we get back to where we otherwise would have been is going to depend very much on the public policy response. Because like I said, right now we're doing the stimulus to try to keep businesses alive, to keep relationships with employers alive, um, but it's short term. Right? That's only, it's only for eight weeks of payroll. If we need to do it again and again to keep those uh, relationships alive, you know, if Congress doesn't do it, then lots of firms are going to go bankrupt. People, if they don't keep the uh, enhanced unemployment insurance going, people will start losing all their savings. And once you get into that situation, it's a lot harder to recover. And so I think it's, it's going to be bad for a while. I think we have the potential to get back to where we otherwise would have been within number of years. I'm not sure what that number is exactly, but it will depend on policy of responding appropriately and, you know, continuing to be very expansive and providing benefits so that we can recover as quickly as possible, which is clearly worth it, right? If you think about spending money now so that you get back to, to the GDP you would have had versus sort of never getting back there, it's clearly worth it to spend pretty much whatever it takes. The long-term effects of this are bad for everyone. For my generation, though, there are more dangers, as many are just entering the labor market. 
it is sort of unfortunate for people who are just entering the labor market. One of the things that we learned after the Great Recession was if you enter the labor market kind of during a bad time, that sort of follows you. So if your initial wage is not great, then your sort of wage growth, you don't kind of ever catch up. So there's some worry about that. And also, of course, it depends on how long this lasts. If it's a few months, which is unlikely to be, I think, then it's not so bad. But if it really turns into a very bad recession, then yeah, I think it's bad luck, you know, for people who are just entering the labor market at this time, who don't have those established relationships. And it also is hard for people who were planning on getting a job and now can't because no one's hiring and you have to stay home uh, because they're actually not covered by unemployment insurance. And so since they haven't had a job, they're sort of just out of luck. So that even temporarily, it means they might have been counting on that income this summer and then they may not have it. So I think it is tough. If you're going to college, there are major concerns there. Colleges are among the hardest hit institutions in this crisis. And while they're receiving some money under the CARES Act, it's not enough. Universities are really scrambling right now. They're actually very hard hit. There hasn't been any aid to them yet. Um, I mean, I think the federal legislation, they're probably going to be more, uh, especially if this lasts a long time. But universities are hit in a number of ways. First of all, they had to um, refund some room and board. Uh, from students who uh, are at home instead of at universities. Second, a lot of universities count on summer revenue from summer school, summer programs where they rent out their dorms, all that is gone. And then the worry is that they won't reopen in the fall. And, you know, they may be able to offer remote learning, but the question is who's going to pay the high tuition for remote learning? Will a lot of people switch to like their state college since they're home anyhow? Community colleges, defer. It's really hard to know, but states are worried, and they're already instituting hiring freezes and salary cuts, um, and they're quite worried, and I think they ought to be quite hard hit. And, of course, for, for schools that do have an endowment, the decline in the stock market means their endowment is worth less, so they're quite worried as well. Colleges aren't the only vital institutions under financial pressure. In addition to being overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases and lacking necessary personal protective equipment and medical supplies, it turns out that hospitals are suffering major monetary blows as well. So as they're required by this crisis to increase bed capacity, among other things, they're also losing money from elective surgeries and private insurance. This raises a major concern with the increase in disease outbreaks we've seen in recent years. What's going on in our health infrastructure and what needs to change in health spending to protect us in the future? So I do think that's going to be a big change after this is all over, is we're going to recognize that being prepared is very important. And one of the things that the U.S. health system has done is basically really move towards having people not in the hospital, having very short hospital stays. That's come down, hospital stays have come down a lot over the past 30 years, and so have hospital bed capacity. And so... While that might be an efficient thing to do in normal times, uh, it turned out to not to be not such a great thing to do right now. So I think we're going to have a lot more focus on preparedness, which is going to look like more costly healthcare in some sense, um, because we're going to have to have buy more equipment, have more extra stuff around. But that will be a smart thing to do in preparation for another pandemic like that. You know, some other interesting questions are whether or not some of the changes that are being made now will stick. Um, and those could go the other way. So, for example, there's a lot more telemedicine now, and providers are being paid for doing things remotely in, in ways that they wouldn't have been done before. So insurance companies and Medicare has changed rules, so you can be paid if you just do something remotely. That's one thing that's happened. Some sort of nurse practitioners have been allowed to do things that they were not allowed to do before. And so some of those things might actually stick. So if you watch changes now and you say, look, you can do these things effectively, 
basically, why don't we keep them? Then those might actually stick. So that's one whole area. The other is, issue, I think, is what's happening short term to, to providers. So hospitals are actually losing a ton of money right now. Uh, because even though they're having, you know, corona cases and they're being paid for those, then most of that payment is coming from Medicare. Medicare does not pay as well as a private sector, private insurance, and all the sort of elective surgeries have been canceled. And, and so they, so hospitals are actually seeing the revenues go down a lot. And so they're even laying off staff. That's true for primary care providers as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, whether or not some smaller hospitals would bought by larger systems or sort of what the fallout is from all of that. And then finally, on the health system issue, there have been a lot of states, there are a lot of states, particularly red states, that haven't expanded Medicaid that the Affordable Care Act allowed them to do, which means that um, right now, people who've lost their job and don't have much income in those states, adults, may not be eligible for Medicaid. Um, and I think that this might be uh, something that changes that the states may decide that they should have taken it and they will finally adopt the Medicaid expansions, but we'll see. All of this can be overwhelming. It certainly is for me. And I don't know what to do beyond keeping busy and continuing to learn and grow, because doing nothing leaves too much room for me to fill with worry. So that's what I hope to do. And I think there are a couple silver linings in this whole thing. One is that there are ways to get out of this quagmire quicker. Government spending in the form of stimulus packages, loans from the Federal Reserve, and more. Second, this whole situation is requiring us as Americans and as humans to come together in ways that we haven't had to before, because now we're fighting a common enemy. And I hope that when we get out of this, we continue to stand together. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back with more soon. Pandemic COVID-19 is a podcast hosted by me, Maxfield Rivers. I'm also the producer and researcher. I'd like to extend my gratitude to Dr. Louise Shainer for being willing to sit down and answer my burning questions. I'd also like to thank you for listening and encourage you to leave a review and share this podcast with your family and friends. Finally, stay home if you can and stay safe.